0: Good morning. Our uh, scripture reading from the Old Testament this morning is uh, Psalm 133. So please hear now the reading of God's holy and inspired word. A Song of Ascents of David Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard. On the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes, it is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Let us turn one more time to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Philippians 2. 1 through 5. The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another. as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. You know, we... We saw in Psalm 133, we see unity, and here I'm going to call it harmony. This morning we look at Philippians 2. It's a mountain peak in all of the whole whole of the Bible. In the Old and New Testament, this is one of the great chapters in the Bible. Uh, the Apostle Paul, he appeals here for harmony. He appeals for harmony in Philippi, and he appeals for harmony at Good Shepherd Orthodox presbyterian church we can give an outline here today we can say the outline is this make my joy complete by being harmonious make my joy complete by being humble make my joy complete by being helpful harmony is marked by humility and it's marked by helpfulness The Apostle Paul points out humility. He says, with humility of mind, how are we to see one another? As better than ourselves. That's humility. And then he speaks of helpfulness. He says, do not merely look after your own interest, your personal interest, but look after the interest of others. That's humility and that's helpfulness. And Jesus is the one who is the perfect, humble person, and he is the one who helped us the most. Jesus is the way to the Father. Many times we look at the book of Acts. We were talking about it yesterday in our Bible study. The way. People who were persecuted are according to the way. Well Jesus, he is the way. John fourteen six, Jesus says, I am the way. And Jesus is the way to the Father, and he's also the way. After we come to the Father through Jesus, he shows us the way to live. And if you want to find the way to live, just look at verse 5. Have this attitude of humility and have this way of helpfulness in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Think about Jesus' humility and Jesus' helpfulness. He set aside his lofty position as a son of God in the heavenly places and he put on the form of a bondservant. He came in human flesh and he lived to do the will of God. This is great humiliation. He regarded us as sinners. He regarded us as more important than himself. And then he comes down and he doesn't just regard us. He doesn't just humble himself as as, uh, what C.S. Lewis says says, He thought less of himself so that he might think about others. (laughs) And then he does something to help us. He puts not only, he puts our interest ahead of his own. And so we see humility and we see helpfulness. The cross represents the greatest act of our Lord's humility. Jesus Christ, think about, I I like to think about, you know, we talked about Jonah not long ago. (laughs) What happened to Jonah? Jonah. Jonah was thrown into the sea. And God has his son thrown into the sea, if you will, on the cross. And on the cross, Jesus goes down, down, down in the great fish, if you will. The waters are rolling over him like great and mighty waves of God's wrath. It says that God expelled Jonah. Well, God expelled Jesus from his sight, forsook him. And for six hours, he's on the cross. But those final three hours were complete darkness. In those final three hours, God held him there at the same time God turned his back away from him there, and he never felt those smiles that he had known for 33 and a half years. It was the greatest act of humility we have ever seen. But also, the cross is the greatest act of help for all sinners. It's the greatest act of help. Think about that. The pinnacle of the cross is Jesus' obedience. Do you want to know if Jesus was obedient? Just go to the cross. Think about, say, for instance, Abraham. Is Abraham obedient? Well, the Bible tells us he was. Just go to Genesis 22. Does does this man really have faith? Just go to Genesis 22. There he is, offering up his son in obedience to the Lord. You've given me your son. God the Father gives his son, and his son gives himself up in this act of helpfulness. He accomplished all the help we need to be saved And following this great act of humility and this great act of helpfulness, Jesus was raised from the dead. He goes from humiliation and obedience to exaltation. The great fish couldn't hold Jonah any longer. He vomited him up on this shore of resurrection. Jesus comes up in the resurrection, and then we see later on in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus will be given by his Father the name above every name, the name at which every man and woman will bow And confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So the way of harmony is the way of humility. And the way of harmony is the way of helpfulness. Just like Jesus we have to follow in his footsteps. It's our responsibility if we look down a little (laughs) further in Philippians chapter 2. To work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's God who is at work in us. And we are given this grace and this energy to work our salvation out in his presence. And as we do this, we are not to be full of grumbling. We're not to be full of disputing. Maybe we need to sing that song again. Whatever my God ordains is what? Is it, is it wise? That's the question I always ask myself. You know, here I am yesterday. We didn't go to the right airport. We went to Hobby first. with me? We didn't go to IAH. We went to Hobby first. And I looked at my wife and said, whatever my God ordains is right. <laughs> is, is that wise? You see, is God wise? Am I going to grumble? Am I going to complain? You see? And so we have to get through our grumbling. We have, sometimes we have to get through our complaining. We say, whatever our God ordains is right. And we put others ahead of ourselves. That's humility. And we go out and we do what we can to take care of the interest of others. Now, as we address ourselves to verse 1 in chapter 2, 1 through 5, we see that word, therefore, and you remember we've talked about this in past sermons. Wherever you see the word, therefore, you always have to ask the question, (laughs) what's the therefore, therefore? Well, what's it there for? Well, it tells us it pushes us back to some territory we covered in the past and then we're going to stop and we're going to turn into a bridge to the next part of chapter 2. So let's go back to verses 27 through 30. We studied those verses in the past weeks and then we're going to go into verse 1, 2 and 3 and 4 of chapter 2. There's a big contrast here. The contrast we're going to see is here. It's a big, important contrast, and we've been pressing ourselves up against that, that uh, command there, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, remember, we're people who live on this earth. We have, you know, We have a president. We have all these different things around us. We have an earthly existence, and we live in this realm. But at the same time, we are told to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ. And that word there speaks of being citizens of heaven. So yes, I'm on this earth, but my head and my heart are to be lived in heaven. I am to set my mind on the things above. I am to set my mind on Jesus Christ. I'm to live like Abraham, passing through this world. This world is not my home. My head and my heart is fixed on my Savior. My head and my heart are devoted to the apostles' doctrine. My head and my heart are living for Jesus. But with your head and your heart fixed on Jesus, what happens? When we live in this world and we conduct ourselves as citizens in this world with our head and hearts in heaven, we're going to face all kinds of persecution and suffering. We saw that in verse 27. So as we stand as the church, listen, as the church, look at how you're looking at me right now. You're shoulder to shoulder. You're looking this way. As we go out into the world, we go out into the world shoulder to shoulder. We're going out in the world and we are to stand, verse 27, in one spirit. We are to strive together side by side for the faith of the gospel. And then as a church, we face with an undaunted courage the enemies that come against us. And that word there. Uh, let me see if I can see it with my glass. I have to see my. put my glasses on. But it says there that we are not to be alarmed or intimidated by our opponents. That word alarmed there or intimidated speaks of a stampede of horses coming against us as we preach the gospel. So as we go out as a church, the church... Is in harmony as it faces the world, as it faces threats, as it faces this stampede. You and I hold ourselves together. We hold fast to the truth, and we face these things together, side by side. And just by the way, what is this gospel that we're preaching? Well, the first there's bad news, then there's good news. What's the bad news? Well, let me let me put it in these terms. How many how many times have you heard in your life, um, "Just follow your heart." <laughs> How many times? A billion times? How many times have you heard on a Disney movie, just follow your heart? (laughs) Well, let me tell you something. Don't. Don't follow your heart. Your heart only thinks about... we, We have a hard time believing this, but Jeremiah tells us that our hearts are deceitful, and we can't even know them. And Genesis 6-5 says that our hearts are inclined to do evil only all the time. And Mark tells us Jesus is speaking. He says out of our hearts flow all kinds of mm, bad stuff. And so we can't follow our heart. Now, that's not to say that we can't go. We, uh, recently, what did we do? A bunch of the men, instead of having our Bible study, a bunch of the men went over and moved somebody from a, one apartment to a house. The Morkins were moved from an apartment to a house. Is that a good thing? Yeah, that's a good thing. I'd rather have a whole world full of people who moved people from one apartment to a house than a whole bunch of people who didn't do things like that. But will that merit anything before God? See, God demands absolute perfection in our thoughts, absolute perfection in our attitudes, absolute perfection in all our intentions, and we can't provide it. So we need, that's the bad news, we can't follow our heart. We need a new heart. Well, the good news is there's somebody who... Who came and did the work for us. There's somebody named Jesus who came and that, that cross experience, that is the epitomizing act of his obedience. He did it. There's his perfect obedience. We call the cross as low as we might call that, as humble as we might call that, we call that glory. Because that is the epitome of obedience. He did that. His righteousness, His life can save us. Put your faith in Jesus. Jesus says, come to me. In Romans chapter 10, the Bible tells us, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You need to call on the name of the Lord. That's the good news. Now as the church stands and preaches that good news, it's a light on a hill and you are going to be what? Persecuted. Because it's been given, uh, Philippians 1.29, it's not only been granted to you that you believe, but it's also been granted to you that you suffer for his sake. Now here comes the bridge. Therefore, the apostle, he pushes us back to see harmony against the world. Here we are shoulder to shoulder. Here we are going out against the world. We're preaching the gospel to the world. And here's the bridge. Now we're going to move towards harmony as the church, listen, faces itself. Uh Uh-oh. This is the harmony of members sitting down and having coffee together. This is the harmony of when we get done with this service, being able to look at each other in the eyes, shake each other's hands, and can we talk to each other? Are we ready to get out of here? You with me? Now, we all understand if you need to leave, if you need to get an Uber, you need to go back to Rice, we understand, don't we? But, oh, it's a bad thing if people can't hang out together. This, this is the turning point in the passage. Can I hang with you? Do I love you? We're going to experience suffering as we face the world shoulder to shoulder, but what about when we're face to face with each other and when the service is over? Can I handle difficulties? Can our church handle disagreements? Can we resolve our conflicts? Every time I do wedding counseling, I spend an hour talking about nothing but conflict resolution. Can we have conflicts and resolve them the apostle paul has talked about the philippian church in glowing terms he says there's saints he says there's overseers he talks about deacons he talks about their money that they've sent to him while he's in prison t- he's talked about their messenger there's this guy Try to say this three times fast epaphroditus and epaphroditus has come and many hundreds of miles into rome to take care of paul's needs but listen to me very carefully that's all out there on the western front. That's all out there on the foreign front. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? That's not on the home front. Now let me see if I can give you an example. This, I think this is a good example. I'm not a fake Facebook person. Maybe I should be, but I just haven't done it. <laughs> i got somebody telling me not to. Well, let me tell you my experience with Facebook from my wife. On two separate occasions, my, my wife has told me there's this woman and there's another woman and they, are both, they, they have these Facebook pages and they have their husband and they have their children and they're all lined up. And there's picture after picture after picture and it looks wonderful. It's almost enviable. You can't believe the wonder of the vacations they have. You can't believe all the stuff that they have. You can't believe all the joy that they have. It's just wonderful. In fact, both of these women have Bible studies that they sell online it get, doesn't get better than that right And then all of a sudden she said I said well what about those people that how's it going with those people she said well both of those went offline both of the facebook pages were were done they're gone then you find out that the husband committed adultery and then you find out that another husband did what much worse than that he I think he killed the whole family and you think to yourself hmm facebook was a front it showed you what only they wanted you to know. It didn't show you what was really taking place in the home. Are you with me? Sometimes the things we do out there, out together, out in the road, out in the world, we can put on a front. But what's really going on in in our home? What's really playing out at home? In the Philippian church, there's problems. Now, You know, it's kind of hard to think about this, but the problems are there. If you look at verse 3, it says, Paul says this. He says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Why would he say that? There's probably some selfishness and empty conceit going on. Now, selfishness and empty conceit, just by the way, happen to be the opposite of what brings harmony, humility, and helpfulness. How can you be humble and helping when you're selfish? And Calvin, I made a note of this because we're going through our little book on Saturday. I made note of this in my mind when I was reading the book. He called selfishness self-love and he refers back to Philippians 2. And he says this, he says, self-love bears a kind of kingdom in its breast. Self-love bears a kingdom in its breast. Wherever self-love is, a person who's full of self-love is a king in his breast. And as long as things are pleasant and sweet, as long as things are good in his life, everything is good and gentle. But if you irritate this man, if you prick this man, he will hold nothing back. He will go to extremes if he sees that you're superior to him he will do everything he can not to compliment you, but to belittle you. If he sees a fault in you, he will not calmly and kindly correct you or cover your sin. He will make sure everybody knows about your sin. If he sees his own sin, he will cover it. If he sees a vice in his life, he will call it a virtue. Have you ever heard people say this? This is one of the easy ones that we can talk about. Well, I'm just a truth teller. You ever heard that one? I'm just a truth teller. Just call me. I'm God's prophet. And I just let the chips fall where they may. And what, what they don't realize is they're just leaving disastrous results in their path. Now, it's true. We need to tell the truth in love. But let's don't call our vice a virtue. This is what Calvin says. This is what I have thought about over the years. You know what was says about Bobby Fisher? You know who Bobby Fisher was? He was a world chess grand champion. You know what it says about him? Y'all may not like him after I tell y'all this. He held the world in contempt. He looked at every person as not worthy to lick his boots. Hold everybody underneath him. He towered above everybody in his own mind. That's what self-love is. Self-love says, if you're playing checkers, self-love says, crown me. King me, right? That's what some people say, king me. Some people say, crown me. Let me give you an illustration from the book of Philippians. Here's Euodia and Syntyche, isn't that a great name? I'm going to challenge y'all to name one of your kids one day, Syntyche. Okay, so so here's Euodia and Syntyche. And Paul says, these folks have been side to side with me in, in the cause of the gospel. But now, you know what? They can't drink coffee together. They're having problems in Philippians 4, 2 through 3, and he's calling a person to come alongside them and help them to be able to sit down together because I bet you know they can put their shoulders together and go against the world, but they can't sit down and talk to each other. Wow. i got to get in my way. That's why that's, they're having a problem. Let me, let, me, let me give you another thought here. The gathering demoniac in Mark chapter 5, 1 through 20, you know the story. Uh, the Gadarene demoniac, he's, he's running wild. It says he's naked. It says he's running through the tombs. It says he's howling and screaming. He's so strong that when the men would bind him and keep to keep him from cutting himself, he grows so strong he can break his bindings. Jesus gets out of a boat. Jesus casts the demon out of the out of the man, and the man is clothed. He's seated in his right mind. He's right in front of Jesus. And you go read what it says. It doesn't literally say this, but this is what it's saying. He's <laughs> saying, "I want to be your thirteenth disciple." He wants to go with him. And Jesus says, no. Well, I thought Jesus said, follow me. (laughs) Matthew, follow me. I thought Jesus said, Peter and John, follow me. This guy's telling him, I'll follow you. And Jesus says, no. Now listen to the next words. It says, I just wrote these down. Stop right here. Jesus said to him, go home to your people. Who's got the hardest assignment? The disciples who are following Jesus away from home or the man who goes home transformed to his own people? I challenge you to think about it, folks. Who is a prophet without honor except the one in his own home? Go home. If I go home, I'm Mark. Do you know who I am at home? 22 years old. I'm 61, folks. But when I go home, I'm like sometimes to some people I'm 17. 17. I'm still that, that kid. I don't know anything. I'm not asked for, any, I'm not asked for their counsel, for, for help to help. Nothing. Nothing. I'm still... When you go home, oh, man, it's one thing. I could just go out. We can just go tear it up at Town Square. We can tear it up as Christians out there witnessing. We can tear it up and do all these things away. But when I go home, that's where I really get my Christianity challenged. Can I live my Christian life at home? That's what I say to my family. Oh, guys, no, don't come to my house too often. I mean, I want you to come, but if you come, get ready. It's kind of messy. Kind of messy. But if you can't learn to live this Christianity behind closed doors, if you can't learn your manners at home, if you can't learn your yesers and your no ma'ams at home, if you can't learn how to repent of your sins at home, if you can't learn to put your faith and trust in Jesus at home, if you can't learn to obey the fifth commandment at home, then where will you learn it? You have Your Christianity has to start at home. You have to learn to say you're sorry at home. And none of this is going to happen apart from From great effort. In fact it's going to be the greatest effort of your entire life. By the power of the Spirit. You're going to have to ask God to help you. To do this work and not leave it undone. To do this work and not let other people do it while you watch. It's going to take great effort. As we submit ourselves to Jesus at home. In our hearts. And the same is true of the church home. Where there's true Christianity in our church. We will be bound together and we'll put our shoulders together against the world, but we'll also be able to face each other and drink coffee together and have fellowship together. And this is where Paul says this. He's going to make four appeals for harmony. Before he says this, notice what it says there. Before he says, make my joy complete, verse 2, by being of the same mind. Before he says that, he gives us verse 1. And this is what he says in verse 1. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, every time he uses that particle if, he's not talking about something that might be true. He's talking about something that's absolutely, certainly true. So many times we we, we could translate it since. We can translate it as indeed is the case. These things are true in Philippi. We have to ask ourselves, are these things true here? Let me give you an example to make sure we got it. Um, If you're on a baseball team, your baseball team won district, your baseball team won regionals, you're on the way to state, and your coach is ready to get on the bus and take you to the state playoffs, and he looks at you and he says, if you have trained... And if you have batted as a team 320, and if you have hit 30 home runs as a team, and if you have stolen 50 bases, and if you have played together and won 25 games, then go out there and make my joy complete and go win state. He's saying stuff that's true. They did win 25 games, (laughs) they did bat 320, they did hit 30 home runs, they did steal 50 bases. He uses it, listen, to exert pressure on them with the truth, to pull them along to be a harmonious team. So here's the first appeal. There is encouragement in Christ. The word encouragement. Moms, listen, you know that. Encouragement means cheering counsel. Now, let's explore that for a second. You know, when babies want mother's milk, they want it to quench their thirst. They want it to be comforted, comfort but they don't know that inside Mother's Milk that there's Home Depot. Have you ever thought about that? What do men do when they go to Home Depot in the morning? Have you ever seen them? All these trucks are lined up at Home Depot, and they're getting two-by-fours. They're getting 16-penny and 8-penny, and they're getting all these tools and getting all this stuff. And inside of Mother's milk's all that stuff, every bit of it. It's not just quenching a thirst. It's not just comforting. In Home Depot, there's all these tools. These guys get it all together. They take it all out there and they start hammering stuff together and they build a house. And that's what's happening with mother's milk. When it goes into that baby's body, all those things, nails are being hammered into two by fours and a baby's body's being strengthened. And you know what? When we come to church, we need to realize that we have this cheering council and it's real And we need these words, these things cheer us on and exert pressure against us to say things to each other that are like nails and boards that build us together and make us stronger than we were when we came in here. We don't need negative words. We need kind words, strong words that build us up and build us together. So these words push us forward and move us along. Second appeal for harmony in the home. Or home front of the church. There is consolation of love. In Christ God has loved me exceedingly. God in Christ has seen past my faults. He's seen past my sins. He's seen past my idiosyncrasies. I've got some. You probably have one or two. (laughs) He's loved me when I was a massive offense to him. Can't we do the same for each other? This consolation of love, it exerts pressure on me. It pulls me towards you. Instead of being one full of self-love and constantly figuring out how not to compliment you and how to belittle you, I'm going to figure out how to compliment you with my words and love you. I'm not going to be the person who's always trying to uh, talk you down, but I'm going to be the one who builds you up you know, I had, a, I had a, a client who used to always tell me that, talk about this. He used to say, my wife thinks I'm going to kick her to the curb. What an awful thing. But we don't kick people to the curb. We love people. That's what it means, consolation of love. I'm going to go out there. And I'm going to think to myself, when God could have walked away from me, he sent Jesus to walk toward me, and I am going to love, and I'm going to walk toward you just like he did towards me. And you know, wherever there's this harmony, wherever there's this love, if there's really a doctrinal or ethical issue that comes along, because the love is already there, we'll be able to work it out. We'll be able to work it out. Well, third, there's an appeal for harmony on the home front. There's fellowship of the Spirit. When we say fellowship of the Spirit, there's two, two things happening here. The Spirit of God brings us into a relationship with God the Father through Jesus. That's a vertical relationship. And as we are connected to God through Jesus Christ, there is a horizontal relationship. Because if I'm in Jesus, who's the vine, I'm going to be connected to those other branches that are in Jesus. So there's this vine and branch Fellowship, And there's this branch-to-branch fellowship. And I have to have relationships with those other branches. John talks about it like this. He says, if you say that you love God, then you will love your neighbor. And then he would say it like this. He would say, now, if you say you love God and you don't love your neighbor, well, um, maybe you don't really love God. Because if you love God, you will love those other branches that are in the vine. Well, let me put it like this. True Christianity is, y'all want a little clarity about this later. You can come talk to me, but my tr- true Christianity is not me in my quiet time. You hear me? True Christianity is not me and my YouTube on Sunday morning. Watching my sermon in my shorts with my wife. True Christianity is not my favorite radio preacher and calling that man my preacher. That's not me. That's not Christianity. True Christianity is not me separated from the body of Christ. But true Christianity is face to face. True Christianity is coming in here and dealing with the branches that are in here. True Christianity is dealing with difficulties and getting them made right. True Christianity is me sinning against you and saying I'm sorry and you sinning against me and you asking me for forgiveness and I learn how to forgive. True Christianity is being in the Word together. True Christianity is listening to long sermons together. I'm almost done. (laughs) It's learning to be together isn't it what do we do at home fourth fourth appeal for harmony this affection and com- it, there is affection and there is compassion affection is something on the inside you know that word affection it means gut it means visceral that all, it's always fun to say that it means something from the gut right you go read you study your words all oh, this means something from the gut We all say we feel it in the gut. But then this stuff that's in the gut, these internal feelings, they come out in compassionate actions. So do you hear that? Here we are, internal humility, humble feelings. And then we go out and we exercise those feelings in compassion. I was talking to Mr. Moore last week, and we were talking about being in the miry clay, weren't we? Remember that? We were talking about being in miry clay. talking about being in Egypt, being under those taskmasters. And here... Here we are in our sin and Jesus comes along and he takes us out of the miry clay, lifts us up. He is the one who feels for us. He is the one who helps us out. And this pressure, this exertion, this truth, it exerts on me this desire to go out and do the same to you. So here we are. We're back to humility and we're back to helpfulness. Isn't it easy to be offended? You know, I can't say where I saw this, but I did see a commercial the other day, and it said all these people are offended all the time. That's not a great way to live. So easy to be cutting each other off. So easy just to walk away and not deal with real issues. My flesh yearns to walk away. But God's Spirit will press me to walk toward you When I was disgusting, God again walked toward me in Christ. And He can teach us to go walk toward each other and love each other. The Apostle Paul says, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind. And then he says, These things are true. There is encouragement in Philippi. There is consolation of love in Philippi. There is fellowship of the Spirit. And there is affection and compassion in Philippi. I'm going to leave you with the question. Are those things true in Good Shepherd, OPC? Is there encouragement, sharing counsel? Is there consolation, fellowship, and affection in Good Shepherd? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for these words. We pray that we would eat these words down the way we eat our food this afternoon. That we would chew on these words. That we would learn, Lord, to love each other. We thank you for making us side by side when it comes to the world. But Lord, when we stop thinking about what's going on out there in the world, when we sit down and look at each other, I pray that you'll make us those who can sit and drink coffee, who can sit and eat together, sit and work all things out before you in a way that's pleasing to you. Make our church attractive because of its love. We'll praise you for it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.